From the studios at WMFE in Orlando, Florida, this is the Space Exploration Podcast that asks the question, are we there yet? Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. In the 1960s, NASA's Apollo program spurred growth and development on Florida's space coast. Fifty years later, the lasting impact of the program can still be seen. I had the chance to work with photographer Jim Hobart to document those changes for a special photo project. Jim recreated the photos we found from the 1960s, and you can compare his new photos with the old using a slider tool that's on our website at wmfe.org slash Apollo. Well, Jim and I worked with the Florida Historical Society to get a sense of what that time was like in the 1960s and clues on where to go to take the photos. I invited them both to talk about the project and the impact Apollo had on Florida's space coast. Well, joining us is Ben Brokemarkle. He's the executive director of the Florida Historical Society and host of Florida Frontiers. Ben, thanks for speaking with us. I'm happy to be here. And Jim Hobart, he is a photographer that's been working with us to document some of these changes along the Space Coast. Jim, thanks for speaking with us. Thanks for having me. Well, Ben, I want to start with you. Uh, Paint us a picture. What was Brevard County like before the space program called it home? And and go go as far back as you'd like. Okay, well, why don't we go all the way back? You know, people have been in Florida for about 15,000 years. And, of course, the Kennedy Space Center is historically significant because every manned American spaceflight has been launched from there. But right near KSC is one of the most exciting and interesting archaeological discoveries in the world. And the the Windover Farm subdivision was being created uh, in the 1980s, right near the intersection of I-95 and State Road 50 in Titusville. And during that uh, construction, it, uh, they, an excavation started happening. They discovered uh, human remains, and they discovered a pond cemetery that they were shocked to discover was between 8,000 and 7,000 years old. And so, to make a long story short, they found nearly 200 ritualistically buried bodies. They were all in the same position, uh, wrapped in the oldest woven cloth found in North America. The pond that they were buried in under the peat muck uh, was uh, perfect pH balance to preserve these remains. So, for instance, 91 of the skulls had intact brain matter in them. So it was just a, a remarkable discovery of the prehistoric people living in the shadow of KSC. And uh, when people think of indigenous people of Florida after that, they often think of the Seminole first, but there were dozens of sophisticated tribes that lived here in Florida. And uh, here in Brevard County uh, is were the Ais people who were here centuries before European contact. Uh, when the Spanish first did arrive in 1513, some believe that Ponce de Leon landed right here in Brevard County. Uh, now, I have to say that's a, a highly uh, debatable <laughs> that, that Ponce landed here, but we do know that Cape Canaveral is the oldest European place name on a map of North America. Uh, so that's pretty pretty interesting as well. Right, so uh, when you look at these old historical maps, you'll actually see, you'll look at Florida, and one of the only little marks that's on there is Cape Canaveral, right? Exactly, exactly. And that was true for a long time after the, the Spanish came. But yes, it is one of the oldest place names in uh, North America. So it, it, it's pretty amazing that uh, we have this tie to the past in the exact same place where the hopes for our future are, are launched from. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's really amazing that each century is represented around here, too, of, of Florida history. Uh, when the French came in, in the 16th century, in 1564, uh, their ships wrecked right off of the coast of Cape Canaveral. 
Uh, so it, Jean Rabot's ship uh, was recently, just within the past couple of years, the shipwreck was discovered in the waters off of Cape Canaveral. Uh, in the next century, in, in 1692, uh, Jonathan Dickinson's ship, the Reformation, wrecked off Vero Beach, south of here, but the uh, Hobe Indians marched him right up through Brevard County on the way to, well, what became Brevard County, on the way to St. Augustine. Uh, so uh, they marched him right past what would become the Kennedy Space Center. Uh, during the British period, uh, you know, the British controlled Florida between 1763 and 1783. Uh, the Elliott Plantation was built on property that's directly adjacent to the NASA facilities. So you can go there today and still see the coquina walls uh, of this plantation where their uh, uh, sugarcane was boiled and rum was manufactured. And uh, they had slaves on that property uh, that escaped to St. Augustine during this period. So uh, that is right next to uh, where, where the uh, NASA launch facilities are. And, of course, Florida was named a United States territory by 1821, and by the 1800s, the cattle industry was moving into Brevard County. Uh, People also started the uh, citrus industry later, and uh, so moving into the 1800s and and, uh, into the 1900s, that was cattle and citrus were king here. Uh, And when the space program began in the the mid-1900s, Brevard was still a very rural area. agricultural community, really. Ben, can you talk a little bit about why the space program ended up calling the Space Coast uh, home? Uh, Why did NASA make the decision to have Cape Canaveral and and the Kennedy Space Center where it is? Well, one of the reasons was uh, simply the geography. You know, uh, it was determined that it would be a, uh, a perfect site to launch rockets from the coast over the ocean so that in case there were issues, uh, that uh, there wouldn't be uh, accidents where things fell back to to Earth. Um, so that was one consideration. Uh, there were political considerations as well. People say, well, why does everything launch from Cape Canaveral? But then Houston is where, uh, as soon as the launch happens, they take over mission control there. Well, that was a political consideration. Uh that 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 facility was moved there, but uh, it, it just uh, it, there, they looked at several different areas to launch from, but it was determined that that Cape Canaveral would be the perfect spot uh, to launch from in, in uh, the safest way possible. Now, Ben Brokemarkle, you you mentioned that before NASA uh, rolled in Brevard County and what would become the Space Coast was cattle industry, citrus industry. Um, how quickly did the area change um, in the 1960s as, as NASA raced towards that moon landing? It changed quickly and very dramatically. Uh, in the 1950s, when uh, Patrick Air Force Base came in and the missile uh, uh, launch facility was was first put here before NASA even came, but it was kind of the precursor to NASA, uh, between 1950 and 1960, the population of Florida as a whole really grew. You know, it was it was post-World War II, and a lot of the people who had served in World War II had trained in Florida and then decided to move back to this area after the war was over. So the, the population of Florida steadily increased. It increased by about uh, a little over 70 percent 
throughout the state. But here on uh, the east coast of Florida in Brevard County, where the Kennedy Space Center would be established, uh, the population during that same time period between 1950 and 1960 exploded by more than 370 percent. So it grew very, very quickly um, with the establishment of the Air Force uh, missile launch site and then later uh, NASA moving in. So some pretty dramatic changes there, uh, Ben Broke, Markle. Um, turning to you, Jim Hobart, you set out to document some of those dramatic changes. Um, what did you find? Well, uh, the uh, the challenge uh, that was set before me by, uh, by you, Brendan, was uh, try to find uh, old photographs of um, Kennedy Space Center and the Space Coast in general from the 1960s, especially right around 1969 when the... Uh, when the uh, sh- when the first uh, m- the Apollo Eleven mission launched, and uh, and then try to recreate those so that we could have a then and now, and uh, I thought, well, this should be great and not very difficult because you know there's a ton of good stuff over there. Well, as I quickly found out, it was a much more difficult challenge than I expected it to be. Um, and the first reason, and this is something that we discovered when we went to visit Ben and his team over at the Florida Historical Society, was that we'd find an old photograph of a beautiful old hotel, 1960s architecture with those swooping lines and and uh, satellite-based um, signage and so forth that everybody's seen. And we'd be like, yeah, let's go get a picture of that now. And the answer kept being, well, that's not there anymore. So my my hopes for some of these really beautiful things like the old Holiday Inn that was on mm-hmm. Cocoa Beach that said, good luck astronauts with, with um, Neil Armstrong or somebody standing in front of the sign. Yep, that's not even it's there. Gone, yeah. Nothing there. It's like a convention center now. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the challenges was that a lot of the iconic photos are of pictures of things that don't exist anymore. And um, secondly, another challenge is there's plenty of pictures of interesting stuff from Titusville and Cocoa Beach and the Space Center itself. But identifying exactly where that mm-hmm. would picture was taken was a much bigger challenge than I thought it would be. Um, you find a photo and you're like, great, let's go here. Well, where is it? You know, it just says Cocoa Beach 1969. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a big place. You know, A1A is one long road and then mm-hmm. there's lots of other roads through there as well. So, so it became a real research challenge. I mm-hmm. spent untold hours. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Trying, no, no, it was great. <laughs> it was such a fascinating experience. But trying to figure out where places were mm-hmm. using these, there's these little, these little nerd blogs and stuff of people who, who dig deep into the, into the uh, old hotels and old restaurants and, uh, and try to figure out where they were before they got bulldozed to mm-hmm. put up a, a McDonald's or a Wendy's or whatever. So, One of the things that I found the most fascinating working with uh, Ben and his team at the Florida Historical Society trying to find some of these spaces is Ben has archived a bunch of old phone books. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah. and his researchers would pull out these phone books from the 1950s and 1960s to look up these addresses. And yeah. you would never think that... Oh, right. They're, they're not yellow on Google. Pages. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the yellow pages from 1969 would tell you where a particular hotel was. And, um, and so as we did this project, you know, some of the most iconic buildings that we think of when we, when we look back at that time frame or do a quick Google search for Cocoa Beach 1969, you, uh, you will find that it's either an empty lot or there's a convention center on top of it now or a giant kind of... You know, not very interesting structure of some kind. 
but not everyone, everyone. And, and some of them, uh, I can give you some examples, but some of them are still sitting there and you can see the old roof line and they don't look the same as they used to, but that's kind of the purpose of this uh, assignment. Mm-hmm. Ben, um, y- you know, as, as Jim mentioned, you know, there's all these iconic photos of, um, you know, space's inspiration on the architecture of Brevard County. And we can look back at it now because we're celebrating the 50th of Apollo. But before that, was there an effort to kind of save or preserve um, some of these, you know, architectural artifacts of, of uh, Brevard's space history? Well, it, it's, it certainly has been more recently. Uh, a lot of times, unfortunately, when people are living history, uh, they don't necessarily feel like they're living history and they don't uh, necessarily understand the importance of pr- preserving things like uh, buildings for, for future generations. Uh, even people who are uh, very much into the historic preservation of buildings, uh, when they're living through it, they don't think of a, a hotel with a, with a really cool, you know, space-oriented sign, for example, is something that would necessarily have to be preserved. But 50 years later, we do. You know, we, we wish that we, we have those things now. So when, when you're uh, living through something and it's contemporary to you, uh, people don't always think of it as historic and, and, or that it will be an historic thing worth preserving. But now, of course, uh, there there are efforts to preserve things. Even NASA itself didn't uh, uh, necessarily preserve some of the launch areas. And uh, uh, Lori Walters at the University of Central Florida is doing some really fascinating work right now. Uh, for, for decades, she's been uh, collecting oral histories and photographs of uh, launch, uh, launch sites at NASA and is now working uh, to create virtual representations of uh, places essential to the space program that no longer exist. You know, you go out there and it's a concrete slab or whatever, and, and, and she's uh, virtually reconstructing these uh, these sites. So uh, at least we, we can do that. Um, and I, I don't know of any efforts along those lines as far as uh, uh, too many buildings. The the glass bank was was a iconic structure that was just torn down within the past a oh, year or so. I guess it was in Cocoa Beach and kind of had that uh, space feel, you know, the, or the space era feel uh, of in the in that structure. Uh, but it was uh, mapped for virtual uh, reconstruction uh, before it was torn down. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, there's. Uh, a lot of places that we've lost that we just uh, can't get back. Uh, Jim Hobart, of the 17 or so photos um, that that you took comparing um, then and now, one of them is the glass bank, right? Can you talk yeah. a little bit about some of the photos that, that you took that were um, that were especially striking to you? Yeah, well, the you know, the glass bank, I didn't realize it had been torn down. And Brendan, you were with me that mm-hmm. day. We went to the site and we saw that it's a grass-covered lot now. And that's and we were so excited because it was like the one address we were able to track down that yeah. day. <laughs> yeah, we found the location. And, and uh, when people go on the website, they'll see the empty lot where the glass bank used to be, which isn't very exciting, unfortunately. But yeah, uh, well, some of the opportunities I got as, as, you know, some of the access that I was granted thanks to WMFE and Brendan... Um, you know, one of the coolest parts was was the famous iconic photograph of the astronauts coming out of their uh, astronaut residence uh, through the door into the van to get on the van to take them to the Apollo, uh, to the Saturn V rocket. And uh, going to that spot and getting driven by a member of NASA's team 
to to the exact spot where that happened, which is just a basically between two buildings, a very nondescript pair of gray doors. You would have walked right by it, not not ever even given it a second look, but then suddenly you realize the awesomeness of that spot where those those gentlemen stepped out of the building into the paparazzi and the limelight mm-hmm. to wave goodbye, and it was it was sort of surreal standing on that spot. And um, so we tried to photograph them exactly the same way the original was, so they match up. Um, you know, being inside the VAB was was an incredible experience. Thinking about what what's been built and the fact that fifty years later, rockets are still being assembled in that facility. So this was so much more than a photography uh, mm-hmm. project. But I do have to say that um, you know, I felt as, as I was doing this project, uh, I felt a lot of disappointment. To Ben's point, that people didn't realize how important those buildings would be one day. And they didn't have the foresight. And I hope maybe we can learn from that a little bit and, and maybe not knock everything down for something new right away. But uh, I think my favorite moment was uh, I found this old ad for a, um, a kind of a adventure park, safari park called uh, Tropical Wonderland. And it was, it, it, was, it was active in 1969 on Cocoa Beach. And it was um, endorsed by Johnny Weissmuller, who is the original Tarzan. And I found an old ad for it with him, uh, kind of a pen and ink sketch of him in this place. And it's got a very uh, recognizable shape. The architecture is kind of an A-frame doorway. Uh, it looks a bit like Gatorland does now, only without the big giant alligator. And I came around a bend in the road and looked to my right and saw that iconic structure, unmistakable. And it was it's still standing. It's, it's boarded up and it's for sale and it's kind of, you know, falling apart a little, but the the outline, the silhouette is still there, and it was such a great feeling to say, found one, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the photographs are incredible, and you can actually go on the website and use a little slider bar to compare the two back and forth, which is kind of mesmerizing. You can <laughs> sit there for hours. Um, it is. Ben Broke, Markle, as, as Jim mentioned, you know, one of the things that he noticed um, was some of the things are still being used today. Um, the VAB, the, the launch pads at Kennedy Space Center, um, what has been some of the lasting effects of the Apollo program uh, here on the Space Coast? Well, there are many people, of course, still living here on the Space program, space uh, Coast that were part of the space program when it was going on, including uh, before the Apollo mission and, and uh, since. So there's, there's still people who were directly impacted by it, a uh, lot of them, and their families still living here in, in Brevard County. And uh, I, I, do, I would like to point out that, that NASA does a great job today of kind of not necessarily the, the, a lot of the buildings, but, but certainly preserving the history. You, you know, you can go to the Kennedy Space Center visitor complex and see a lot of the, the uh, rockets. And uh, one of the space shuttles is on display there now. And one of the most dramatic things is going to the uh, reconstructed launch room that actually has uh, you know the 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 actual panels that people sat at, and as you're listening to a recording of a launch, you're you're seeing the lights spotlights hit the spot where the person who was is talking was sitting, and then you walk out for the dramatic reveal of a Saturn V rocket, which is gigantic, uh, you know, suspended from the ceiling. So, it it really is. Uh, they're doing a good job of of preserving the the history uh, now as as far as. Uh, uh, 
artifacts and and uh, important objects go. And and hopefully the VAB will be uh, uh, well preserved as well, even if it uh, if its function changes or or isn't used for the same thing. Uh, but they they do a good job of that now. But the impact is uh, of the space program is still being felt. Uh, of course, it's uh, uh, there are ebbs and flows in the space program, and it, it's kind of ramping up again, mostly on the uh, uh, commercial side. But the commercial side uses, of course, KSC facilities as well. Uh, but the government side is going to be ramping up here too, I guess. So it um, uh, it's still having an impact today, uh, and. Uh, as people move in and out for different programs, as I say, some of the people have stuck around the whole time. And, and so uh, the impact is definitely uh, uh, still here. Yeah, Pad 39A, um, which launched um, Apollo 11, is being used by SpaceX to launch uh, the Falcon and Falcon Heavy. So um, it's, it's getting reuse and, and will launch humans um, uh, maybe by the end of this year. Um, Jim Hobart, I'll give you the last word here. Uh, what was what was some of the takeaways? Um, your your biggest takeaway uh, from taking on an assignment like this? Well, the fact that we we are not very good at maintaining our historical structures uh, that was that was the first thing I noticed. I didn't think this was going to be very difficult, and it was really hard. Um, another thing I, I want to just say real quick is that you know even when you find the place that something existed. Uh, Things are different, and I'll give you an example. Um, so I went hunting for where the original Ron Johns was located, and it started in New Jersey down the shore. But the second one, a few years later, was on the pier at Cocoa Beach. I didn't realize it, but it was actually at the edge of the pier where it meets the ground. And um, so I went out there to photograph that spot. It used to be called Canaveral Pier, and that's the photo I found of Ron Johns with the sign. Well, now it's called Cocoa Beach Pier, and there's a different store there, which I photographed, but the shot, the original shot was taken from the middle of the parking lot, and there were a couple of old 1960s cars in front of it, and uh, the rest was wide open. Well, I went there, and the parking lot is filled with buses and big white vans and cars of every size and shape, all the way up to the practically the doorway. So if I'd stood where the original photographer stood, you'd have seen nothing but cars and maybe the top of the sign. So I couldn't get to where it was originally taken from, and it was a it was a little frustrating, you know. I kind of would would love to have made them perfect like that, but but basically, I came away with a with a renewed respect for 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 the importance of keeping some of your history, so that future generations have something tangible other than just images to look at. We've been speaking with Jim Hobart. He's a photographer who's been working with WMFE to uh, photograph. Um, some iconic pictures from the 1960s um, highlighting this space program here. And we're also speaking with Ben Brokmarkle. He is the executive director of the Florida Historical Society, the host of Florida Frontiers, and a tremendous help in this photo project. Uh, ben, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Brendan. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. You can check out all of those images online at wmfe.org Apollo. And make sure you use your mouse or your finger if you're on a touchpad to slide between the two photos to compare them. The conversation continues online. You can follow us on Facebook, search Are We There Yet Podcast. Or if you're a tweeter, you can find us at A-W-T-Y Mars. Are we there yet, Mars? Get it? Or if you have a story, idea, or guest pitch, please send me an email. That's at yet at WMFE.org. The podcast is a production of WMFE, and its theme music was composed by Kevin McLean. 
For more space news, visit us online at wmfe.org space. All of our Apollo coverage can be found at wmfe.org Apollo. And until next time, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. <laughs>